0: As Ian has said, we're going to continue on in our studies from this morning in First Peter chapter 1. Um, and I kind of had two titles for this. I couldn't quite work out which one we wanted to go to. Following on from this morning, we had Where There Is Christ, There Is Hope. This evening we have Where There Is Christ, There Is Holiness. Um, but more applicably to the things that are going on in the world around this, I want to use the title Staying Clean in a Polluted Worlds. So I want to read First Peter chapter one, and we'll read the rest of the chapter from verses thirteen down to twenty-five. And it reads, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy as I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with precious, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now you have uh, purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you may have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of unperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers, and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for that wonderful truth that the word of the Lord endures forever. We thank you that in every context, in every church, in every assembly in the last 2,000 years, your word has spoken to people's hearts, and we know and we believe that tonight your word can speak to us. Lord, give us ears and open our hearts, we pray. Amen. Staying clean in a polluted world. You know, there's many things you can do practically to stay clean. And if you have a copy of the what's On, many of them will be found in there. <laughs> Wash your hands for more than 20 seconds. Use hand gel, but only with over 60% alcohol. Don't shake hands. Avoid touching your eyes, your nose, and your mouth with unwashed hands. Carry tissues to catch coughs and sneezes and bend the tissue. And if you feel unwell, stay at home. Don't go to work. Don't go to school. Not in the what's on, but also I've been including that. Brush your teeth twice a day and shower frequently. They aren't in the list, but we should all do them. The coronavirus has got us all thinking about cleanliness. Do you like that I also got that notice in there for you as well? But it's all got us thinking about cleanliness. And rightly so, because it's important for our own safety and also for the safety of those that are vulnerable. And judging by the lack of soap and toilet roll in our supermarkets, some people are just coming round to it. Staying spiritually clean in a spiritually polluted world may have been a slightly better title. But in the first section of this chapter, Peter emphasized walking in hope. Walking in the hope that is in Christ Jesus and how important it is for us to know that hope so that we can be secure on it and secure in the fact that we are secure in Christ Jesus. But now he's moved into this emphasis of walking in and holiness and again like love and trust this morning are intertwined and go together our hope and our walk of holiness together they come first john chapter 3 verse 3 all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure we know that the meaning of this word holy is to be different And we know that our present lifestyles as Christians is not only different to our past way of life, but it is also different to the lifestyles of those around us in this world. We also know, because Peter tells us in chapter 4 verse 4, that a Christian's life of holiness appears strange to those outside of Jesus. But for us it is not strange, and it is not strange to each other. However, I'm sure we would all acknowledge that it is not easy for us to maintain a holy walk with God in this world. This anti-God atmosphere around us, which the Bible calls the world, is always pressing against us, trying to force us to conform. And I think this is why this passage is so important, because we're given five spiritual incentives or motives to encourage the reader, that is them now, but also us, To maintain a different lifestyle and a holy walk in this polluted world. Those five things we'll go through in this passage. But the first of which is the glory of God. Verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus is revealed at his coming. As Jesus Christ has revealed, another expression for the living hope that we touched on this morning. We as Christians live in the future tense because our present actions and our decisions are governed by the future hope that we have. that one day we will stand face to face in eternity with Jesus Christ. Have minds that are alert and fully sober simply means pull yourself together and be disciplined. When we center our thoughts on Christ and His return and we live accordingly, we manage to escape many things that the world would have take over our minds and hinder our spiritual progress. Outlook determines outcome, an attitude determines action. A Christian who is looking to the glory of God has a greater motivation for obedience that a Christian who ignores the fact that Christ will return. The more we focus on Christ, the greater our obedience. It's pretty logical. And I think that there's a helpful contrast for us in the lives of Abraham and Lot. Abraham had his eyes firmly fixed on eternity. He had no interest in the offerings of this world. But Lot, who had tasted the pleasures of the world, gradually moved towards Sodom. Abraham brought blessing to his house, but Lot brought judgment. Outlook determines outcome. Not only should we have an alert mind, but we should be sober minded to be calm, to be steady, controlled, and to weigh up all matters. The fact that Christ is coming should encourage us to be calm and collected. The fact that Satan is always on the prowl, always looking for where he can catch us out, is another reason that we should always be alert and always be sober-minded. But also with this, we should have an optimistic mind. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus is revealed at his coming. Set your hope on it. That's how secure it is that your hope can be built entirely upon it. And not just that, but all your future hope and everything that you will need in your life can be built on Jesus hope in the future glory of Christ that we will find ourselves in the result of this mindset the result of this focus is that we experience the grace of God in our lives of course we will never experience the grace of God to the extent we will when we face Christ in eternity but we can experience that grace today as we look to Him. We have been saved by grace and we depend moment on moment God's grace. For us, looking to the promise of the return of the risen King is something that should strengthen our faith and give us hope in the most difficult of days. As we said this morning, set your hope on Christ and we'll come to verse 24 later. But all people are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail. All of this is for God. Set your hope on Jesus because nothing else is eternal. Nothing else will go with us from this life. Secondly, we have the holiness of God. God. That encourages us in our walk as Christians, encourages us to stay clean in this polluted world. Verses 14 and 15. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. The argument here again is pretty logical and straightforward. Children inherit the nature of their parents. Therefore, as adopted sons and daughters of the God who is holy, as his children, we should live holy lives. In Peter's second letter, he says we may participate in that divine nature more than just observing or knowing, but participate in that divine holiness of God that we are called to live. And we ought to reveal that And the nature of how we live in a way that follows God. Peter's reminding his reader of where they were before they trusted Christ. They were children of disobedience. But now they are obedient children. True salvation always results in obedience. They had always been imitators of the world. After the standards and the pleasures that this world would offer. Romans twelve two We know this. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. And in verse 14. Don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. One of my favorite parts of the book of Romans. Is this dialogue. Where people are asking Paul. Surely we can send more to get more grace. And Paul's response in Romans 6 verse 2. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? How can we go back to the way that we once lived? Now that we have been set apart in Christ Jesus, how can that not be the way that we want to live our lives? We were once people of ignorance, and ignorance leads to indulgence. Don't go there. You know Jesus, don't give in, don't go back to your sin. We know that the world has all kinds of fleshly desires and and indulgences that in the moment seem utterly delightful and wonderful, and maybe for a short time they are. And since each of us are born into this fallen nature, that sinful life is normal for us. But again, our nature determines our actions. But now as adopted sons and daughters, our nature is Christ. Because we are are a new creation. So do not give in. We would all be in a sad state of affairs were it not for the grace of God. He called us. And one day Jesus called to Peter and his friends and he said, Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they responded by faith to his call and that completely changed their lives. It probably explains why Peter uses the word called so often in his letters. The fact that we are called to be holy. That we are called out of darkness into his wonderful light. That we are called to suffer and follow Christ's example. And in the midst of persecution, we are called to inherit a blessing. But best of all, We are called to his eternal glory. God calls us before we call on him for salvation. Because it is wholly dependent upon his grace. But we know that God's gracious election of sinners to become saints always involves responsibility from us. Yes, it comes as privilege, but he has chosen us in Christ that we may be holy and blameless before him. This idea again, that our walk and our holiness comes from, our obedience comes from the glory and the holiness that Christ displays before all of us. God has called us to himself and he is holy therefore, we should be Holy. And Peter quotes those words of the Old Testament law. Be holy because I am holy. God's holiness is an essential part of his nature. 1 John 1.5 God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That is holiness somewhere where there is absolutely no darkness. And we have been set apart for God's use exclusively. And for his pleasure. And that means for us a separation from everything that is unclean and complete devotion to God. I wonder as we pause and reflect on that, if we see the evidence of this in our lives, if we see the replicating of the holiness of God in who we are and our interactions with people and the ways that we conduct ourselves. Does God's holiness drive us to cast out the sin in our lives? Do you know, for us, there is no secular and sacred. Because all of life is holy as we live to glorify God. Even such ordinary activities as eating and drinking can be done to the glory of God, as Paul tells us. If something cannot be done to the glory of God, that means we shouldn't do it. Thirdly, the word of God, verse 16, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. It is written, a statement that carries great authority for us. Our Lord uses the word to defeat Satan and so may we. But the Word of God is not only a sword for battle, it is also a light to guide our paths. It is also food to strengthen us. And it is also water that washes us. And the Word of God has this cleansing ministry in our lives. Those who delight in the want, those who meditate on it and seek to obey it, will experience God's direction and His blessing in their lives. Why? Because the word reveals God's mind to us. And because it reveals God's mind and who God is, we should seek to learn it. We should seek to learn God's heart and we should love it. We should look to seek God's will and we should live it. And with our whole being, our mind, our will and our heart should be controlled by everything that God has for us this quote comes Leviticus 11:44 be holy because i am holy does that mean all of the old testament law is applicable to us we need to bear in mind that, that these early believers didn't have what we have now is the full canon of scripture they had the old testament and god used the word this word to direct them and to nurture them we know that we're not under the ceremonial laws that were given to israel even though there are great principles in all of these that we can pull out. And nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the epistles, so we must obey them. The Sabbath was fulfilled in Christ. Something that was given to the land of Israel. But as we study the Old Testament, we learn more of God's character and His working. And we see His truth displayed again and again and again. Again. How do we keep ourselves clean in a filthy world? One of our first responses should be, what does the Bible say? What would God have us do? Because in those scriptures, that is where we find our principles and our promises and the examples and the people to guide us in our decisions today. And if we are really willing to obey God, he will show us his truth. While God works in many, many different ways, throughout all of history, his character remains the same. His principles and his rules never change. But you know, we don't just study the Bible to know the Bible better. We study the Bible so that we may know God better. It is good for us to know the Word but it should be better for us to know God through His Word. We never read the Word for the sake of reading, but we read so that we might know our God. And you know my greatest desire in this church, in these couple months of vacancies, is not that we would sit back and just say, okay, we'll crack on with things when our new senior pastor comes or things will pick up again or whatever the comments might be, but rather that we were a people that were so utterly in love with God, so utterly convicted by his word that this church sees more conversions than it's ever seen before, that we would see dozens of mature believers raised up because we are the body and Christ is our head and he has given us everything that we could possibly need The fourth motivation in verse 17, the judgment of God. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. As God's children, we need to be serious about sin and holy living. Our Father is holy and our Father is righteous and He will not compromise with sin. He is merciful and He is forgiving, but He also disciplines and He does not permit us to enjoy sin. Because after all, it is our sin that sent His Son to the cross. And if we call God Father, this should be reflected in our nature. In the way that we conduct ourselves. In the way that we live and we act in this world. But what is the the judgment that Peter writes about? It is the judgment of our works as believers. We need to separate this from salvation. This is not connected with it. Because salvation should produce good works. But it is not conditioned on. Because when we trusted in Christ. When God forgave our sins. And declared us righteous and his sons. Our sins have already been judged on the cross. And therefore they can't be held against us. But when the Lord returns there will be this time of judgment. Called the judgment seat of Christ. And each of us will give an account for our works. And each of us will receive an appropriate reward. This is the father dealing with his beloved children. The word judges translates to judge in order to find something good. God will search into the motives of our heart. He will examine us thoroughly. But he reassures us that his purpose is to glorify himself in our lives. And then shall every man have praise of God, Paul says. What an encouragement that should be to us. God will give us and gives us many gifts and privileges as we grow in the Christian life. But he will never give us a privilege to disobey and sin. He never pampers his children or indulges them. There is no person so respectable that God pardons them from this. God shows no partiality and accepts no bribes we hear in Deuteronomy. He shows no favoritism we hear in Romans. Romans. But when his child obeys and serves him in love, he notes that and prepares the proper reward. Peter reminds us that we are only foreigners on this earth. Life is too short for us to waste in disobedience and sin. And in the view of that fact, that the loving father lovingly disciplines his children today and will judge our works in the future that ought in us to cultivate this attitude of godly fear. We know not this, this crippling fear that consumes us of a slave before a master, but it is this loving fear of a child towards the parent. And it's not the fear of judgment, but it is the fear of disappointing him and sinning against him because our sins should carry real weight. And it should hurt us when we hurt our God. And lastly and most importantly our fifth thing in verses 18 to 21. We have the love of God. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from. The empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world and was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised you from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope in God. This should be the highest motive for holy living. Peter reminds us of our salvation experience and the fact that we need to be regularly reminded. That is why we gather together as believers so that every week we are encouraged. It's one of the reasons that the Lord established the Lord's Supper so that we are continually, continually reminded of all that he has done for us. And he reminds us of where we were, that we were slaves that needed to be freed. You know, this word redeemed to us is probably a theological term, but it carried this this meaning in first century Roman Empire. Just as the exiles were redeemed, there were probably about 60 million slaves in the empire, and many slaves became Christians and fellowshiped with local believers. A A slave could purchase his own freedom, but only if he had enough money to do so. Or his master could sell him to somebody else who could pay the price and set him free. Redemption was a precious, precious thing. So this idea that there is someone that could pay the price ultimately for you would blow people's minds. We must never forget the slavery of sin. Moses time and time again urged Israel to remember that they had been slaves. Didn't always stick with them. They were still disobedient. But that was the reminder that they were constantly given. The generation that died in the wilderness forgot the bondages of Egypt and wanted to go back. Not only did we have a life of slavery, but we had a life of emptiness. Peter calls it the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. He describes it more in chapter 4, but he gives this idea that we thought we were full and we thought we were happy outside of Jesus, but in reality, we're empty and we're miserable. And that, that is the reality for many today, that they are blindly living on substitutes, thinking that they are enough to fulfill their life and give them purpose. But Peter not only reminds us of where we were, but he also again reminds us of what Christ did. Peter in all of this, it is constantly back to Jesus all the time. He shed his precious blood to purchase us out of slavery so that he could set us free forever. To be redeemed is to pay the price. A slave could be freed when the price was paid. But no amount of money can set a lost sinner free. But only the blood of Jesus can redeem us. Peter was a witness of Christ's suffering. And he mentions his sacrificial death often again in this letter. And in calling Christ the Lamb, he brings all this imagery to us that is found constantly throughout the Old Testament that would have been important to the early church. This idea that there is an innocent victim who is going to give his life for the guilty. We see this this sacrifice starting in Genesis 3 all throughout the Old Testament. And we read these wonderful words here with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That is how we are redeemed. That is the love of our God that is given to each one of us. This is what saves us. The blood of the blameless and perfect lamb. Peter made it clear that Christ's death was an appointment and not an accident. That it was ordained by God before the foundations of the world. And you know from a human perspective it looks like our our Lord was cruelly murdered, Which he was. But from the divine perspective he laid down his life for sinners. But he was raised from the dead. And now anyone who trusts in him will be saved for eternity. And you know, when you and I meditate on the sacrifice of Christ and what that means for us, that reality that it has in our lives, certainly we should want to obey this God and live lives that are holy and set apart for his glory. I just want to finish with those last two verses. All people are like grass. And their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Everyone is like grass. And everything in this world, we can stick whatever we want in there. Insert your own words. But anything we put in there is like a flower in the field. It is beautiful for a period. It may be a long period. It may be magnificent and it may be wonderful for a time, but it will perish. But the word of the Lord endures forever. That should be our perspective that this place is temporal and our inheritance to bring in the words from this morning is in heaven and it cannot perish, it cannot spoil, and it cannot faint. So, how do we stay clean in a polluted world? We focus on the glory of God. We focus on the holiness and the awesomeness of God. We dive into His Word. We recognize the judgment of God that will come. We have a fear of the Lord that is healthy. And we let ourselves be consumed by the love of our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you didn't just send your son into this world to save us and then leave so that we could just get on with it ourselves and make the best of this life as we could. But you give us so many tools and things that we can use to live holy lives. God, this week, would we let your truth consume us? God, would you amaze us again with your glory, your holiness, your word? Would you give us the right fear of the Lord? And would you overwhelm us with your love because you are so good and you are so worthy. In your name we pray. Amen.